will, verse 18. Give everybody a second to get there. This will be a two-parter. We'll talk about this this week, and of course next week will be Mother's Day. But in a couple of weeks we'll be back and we'll, we'll talk about this passage a little more. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Father God, we come to you today, and I thank you that we can come into your house, and I thank you for your word, God. Your word is good. And so, God, I pray that your word would, would speak to us today, that your Holy Spirit would speak to us, that you would speak through me, that you would open our ears and open our hearts, dear Lord, that you would help us to understand your word and to live by your word. God, I pray that you would take away any, any nerves or any pride that's in my heart today, that I would be humble before you and that you would hide me behind the cross, that I can preach and teach your word effectively, dear Lord. I pray that you would take away the distractions of the enemy, the worries of this world, the, the thoughts that come across our mind, God, that, that we would listen to what you say to us today. God, that this is your time, so let us give it to you. That you would help me to speak clearly and you would help each of us to listen clearly, dear Lord. And I pray that you'd be glorified through all the said and done in this place today. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a little background to what we've been talking about the last few weeks. At the end of Mark chapter 11, we were introduced to this section of attacks, if we can call them that, on Jesus. Now, this is nothing new. Jesus had been under attack for his whole ministry. But here in this last week of his life, everybody is trying to bring their best shot at Jesus, to try to trip him up, to try to get him to say something or do something in a way that's going to make him look bad, in a, in a way that they will have something they can say against him and say, Aha, we got you. You just said something you shouldn't have said. You said something wrong, and now we have reason to, to, to get rid of you, to destroy you. But Jesus has been far too clever for that, as we've seen in the past few weeks. At the end of Mark chapter 11, we see the chiefs and the, and the chief priests and the scribes uh, and, and, the, and the elders, they come at Jesus. Now, these were some of the, the higher-up religious people of the day. And they came at Jesus questioning his authority. Where does his authority come from? And that authority had been acknowledged by the people who had heard Jesus for all of these years of his ministry. And these chief priests and scribes and elders, they didn't like Jesus because... Before Jesus came, the people listened to them. They had the power. But now Jesus has come and the people have begun to follow Jesus. And they question Jesus' authority, but they really don't care about Jesus' authority. It's clear they hate Jesus. And there was nothing Jesus could have told them if he would have told them the truth of where his authority came from. They would not have accepted that. And Jesus refused to answer their question on that account. And then last week... We see some more groups come at Jesus. We see the Pharisees. The Pharisees were a religious group of the day. And we also see the Herodians last week who came at Jesus. They were with the Pharisees here. Now the Herodians probably represent the more political group. Those were people who followed Herod and people who probably uh, were, were, were more willing to follow the ways of Rome, who was the governing power of the day. And they came at Jesus with a, with a somewhat political question, if we could call it that, about paying taxes. 
They wanted to try to trip Jesus up. Many of the Jewish people didn't care much for the Roman ways. They didn't like Rome. And so they asked Jesus if it was lawful to pay taxes. And if Jesus uh, would have said, uh, yes, it's lawful to pay taxes, then, well, some of the Jewish people that didn't like Rome would have not been happy with Jesus, and they may have quit following him. But if Jesus would have said, oh, no, you don't have to pay taxes, well, then he would have been in trouble with the government. And so they were trying to trick him and trap him in any way they could, but Jesus cleverly answered, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And the group went away amazed. And so we have seen every group that has come at Jesus throughout his whole ministry coming at Jesus here in this last week. The religious leaders, the religious groups, the political groups, they are all giving Jesus their best shot, and Jesus has won so far in every case. Here today, we're going to see the Sadducees are coming at Jesus. They're another religious group of the day. Now, although all of these religious groups didn't agree with one another, they, they might have had different <coughs> political views, they might have had different religious views, they didn't agree with one another, but they did have one common interest, and that was they all hated Jesus. <coughs> and so even though they didn't usually get along with one another, in this instance, at this time, they all were, were kind of helping each other out, it would appear, it, it, it seems like, as we look at these passages. They are all working together with a common goal in mind, and that is to get rid of this Jesus character. We've got to get rid of him. We've got to shut him up. We've got to get him out of here. And they were trying their best shot, and the Sadducees are doing so today. We'll split this into two separate uh, sermons in the context of what's being discussed here, and we'll talk about this more in a couple of weeks when we return, Jesus is really dealing with the resurrection. That's, what, that's what's being dealt with. But there's something Jesus says in this passage that it's worth taking some time for us to consider and think about because it's a difficult thing. It's something that may be hard for us to wrap our mind around, and so I felt like it may be important to discuss it because maybe our minds have thought about the very thing that Jesus uh, briefly mentions in his response to the Sadducees. So we'll read through the whole passage, briefly discuss what's going on, and then we're going to focus on one verse here. Mark chapter 12, verse 18. Some Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to him and questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaves his wife behind, and leaves no child... His brother should take the wife and produce offspring for his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife, and dying left no offspring. The second also took her, and he died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise. So the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman died too. In the resurrection, when they rise, whose wife will she be, since the seven had married her? Jesus told them, Are you not deceived because you don't know the Scriptures or the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now concerning the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are badly deceived. Now let's set up this, 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 this attack the Sadducees are making on Jesus here. Mark gives us a crucial bit of, bit of, bit of 
uh, of, of information in the first verse here. Some Sadducees came against Jesus, and the Sadducees believe there is no resurrection. Now, we see this also mentioned in Paul's writings. When, when Paul is under attack, and he sees that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are both coming against him, and so he very cleverly uh, says some things that he knows that they will disagree on religiously and begin arguing with one another. And one of those things that we see there is this idea of the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe that there was a resurrection. That's a clue for us as we read the rest of this passage. They are asking Jesus about a resurrection that they don't believe in. So we know that this is a trick question. This is an attempt to trap Jesus. And the question is in regards to something that is mentioned in the Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 25 about, about brothers marrying their brother's wife if they don't have any children before they die. Now we talked about this on Wednesday night in the book of Ruth. This kind of coincides a little bit with what was going on there. Uh, if you want to go back and listen to that, to that message, you can find it online. But in Deuteronomy 25, the law that God told them to follow, what they were to do, is as the Sadducees has spelled out here. If a man was married to a woman, and they had no children, and the man died, the man's brother was to marry the wife, was to marry the woman. And if a child was born, that child would be counted toward the brother who was passed. He would take the brother's family name. He would pass on the brother's family line. This was important for God, for families to continue, for the family inheritance to be kept, for the family land to be kept. And so if a man marries a wife and they have no children, then the man's brother is to marry the wife if the man dies. Now, in this situation that the Sadducees presented, a man had a wife with no children, and he died. His brother married the wife, and they had no children, and he died. And this happened seven times, counting the man and his six brothers. Now, finally, the woman died, and there were no children. Now, they're trying to trap Jesus here. They're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to get Jesus to come up with an answer to this difficult scenario. Now, whether the scenario was a real scenario or not, we don't know. Perhaps there was really a woman that they had known of that this had happened to. Perhaps it was a made-up scenario, one that they knew would be difficult. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't get along, so perhaps this was one of their debate points. If they were debating a Pharisee, perhaps they would uh, bring this scenario up, and maybe the Pharisees didn't have a good answer. Jesus was far wiser and far more clever than the Pharisees. And so they asked the question, well, this woman has been married seven times. Now, when the resurrection comes, the resurrection that they don't believe in, when the resurrection comes, oh, great Jesus, why don't you tell us who she's going to be married to? Which man is going to be her husband? Which of the two are going to be husband and wife when they are in heaven? And the verse we're going to talk about today is verse 25. Because Jesus says in response to their question in verse 25, For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. Now we're going to talk about some difficult stuff today that the Bible is not specifically clear on. Things that probably we've all questioned, but things that 
the Bible maybe, maybe doesn't give us the answers that we really would, would love in black and white. Now, Jesus says, look, in heaven, people will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but they will be like angels. Now, it's not clearly stated here that Jesus is saying those of us who are married in this life will not continue those marriages in the life to come. It doesn't say that clearly, but I believe that that's what Jesus is saying in this passage. That would make sense in the context of the question that's being asked. He's saying, when the, the Sadducees are saying, when, when, a, when, a, when a husband and wife are in heaven, in this case, when a person's been married multiple times, which one of them will be the married couple in heaven? And Jesus says, it's not going to be like that in heaven. Now, we could say that perhaps Jesus is saying there will be no new marriages in heaven, that, that those marriages who have, that have already been established in this world will continue, and there will simply be no new, and perhaps that's what Jesus is saying here. But I believe that what Jesus is saying is that our marriage relationships as we know them in this world will not continue in the life to come. Now, that's a tough one, right? That's a hard thing for us to consider and think about, and, and maybe you have considered that question before. Perhaps if, if you've had multiple husbands or wives, maybe you've lost a spouse. Maybe you've considered the very question that the Sadducees were asking. Now, they were asking it uh, with, with bad motives, but perhaps you really have thought about that. When I get to heaven, who, which of my husbands or which of my wives will I be with for all of eternity? Well, Jesus seems to answer that question here. Neither. That there will not be marriage in heaven as it is here. Now, that's tough, right? That's tough for us to consider. That's tough for us to comprehend because we love our husbands and wives in this world. Hopefully you do. If you don't, you need to work that out. Hopefully you love your wife, you love your husband, and you care about them. And we love being with them. Even though we have all the flaws in this world, we love being with them. And we look forward to the day that if we're in Christ Jesus, we will be with them for all of eternity. And indeed we will be with them for all of eternity. That is not in question. But it appears to me, and I could be wrong, but it appears to me that Jesus is saying that our marital relationships that we experience in this world will not continue for all of eternity. And that's hard for us because we do love our spouses. We love our husbands and wives. And if we can go even further, it stands to reason that if our marital relationships will not continue in this world, or excuse me, in the life to come in the way that they do in this world, then neither will any of the rest of our relationships. That is, your husband or wife of this world won't be your husband or wife for all of eternity. Your children of this world won't be your children for all of eternity. Your mother and father of this world will not be your mother and father for all of eternity. Now, as we think about that, if, if you've never really thought about it before, you may think, man, I don't, I don't like the way that sounds. That doesn't sound good to me. I love my family. I love my wife. I love my husband. I love my children. I love my mom and dad. You're telling me that, that we're not going to be in these same relationships in the life to come? Well, it doesn't sound like it to me, and I could be wrong. Now, some people, in considering that, they may be so bold as to say, well, if that's what heaven's going to be like, I don't want to go. Well, hold up. Pump the brakes. Pump the brakes for a second. 
It sounds really bad at first if you've, if you've never really considered this question before. That sounds horrible, right? But let's, let's, let's think for just a second. God is perfect. God is great. God is infinite. God has greatness of things prepared for us that we can't even begin to comprehend, that we can't even begin to think about. If God were to tell us what our relationships in heaven would be like, we probably wouldn't even be able to understand what that would look like, what that would be like. And so when we think about that our relationships in heaven won't be like they are on earth, we may at first panic a little bit. But we have to think about everything that we've seen in Scripture to this point. Now one other question that may pop into our mind if we're thinking about this and we think, well, if I'm not going to know my husband or wife, or we're not going to be husband and wife, or we're not going to be mother and father and children, then will I even know those who have been with me in this world? Surely I'll remember, surely I'll know them, surely when I see them I'll, I'll, I'll remember them and I want our relationship to be uh, the way it was. And the question may arise in our mind, will we even know each other in heaven? Well, that's another tough one. Because the Bible doesn't clearly state these things for us in Scripture. Although I believe that we will recognize each other in heaven. We see a few examples in Scripture maybe where we could, we could draw this conclusion from. One of which being Jesus himself. When he was resurrected, there were many who saw Jesus. And they recognized him as Jesus. Even though he was in a resurrected body, there was something about him that they were able to recognize him. Take the story of the transfiguration where Jesus is on the mountain with three of his disciples. And as they are there, there are two others that appear with Jesus. One is Moses and one is Elijah. And Peter, who was there, he recognizes Moses and Elijah. He says, there's Moses, there's Elijah. Now, these two had left this world thousands of years before Peter came on the scene. How in the world did Peter recognize Moses and Elijah and these resurrected bodies that they were in? And in what way was he able to recognize them? Well, we don't know the answer to these questions. These things are mysteries to us. We can't know how Peter recognized. But there was something about them that allowed Peter to recognize them after, in Moses' case, had been resurrected. Elijah was taken up to heaven, so that's a little different case. But Peter knew them nonetheless. We have another story in the New Testament, a story of a rich man and a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus was a poor man. And the rich man never really cared about Lazarus, never cared to take care of him. And when the end of their life came, the rich man ended up in a place of torment, begging for just a drop of water. But the poor man ended up in a place of peace. And Lazarus could see the poor man. He could, or excuse me, the rich man could see Lazarus. He recognized Lazarus in the afterlife. Now those are just a few examples of passages where we see people in resurrected bodies or in the afterlife in which there is recognition of them. And those may be some scriptures for us to consider when we think that God, whether or not God will, we will know each other once we are in heaven. And I believe that it is certain that we will know each other in heaven. In some way, shape, or form, I can't tell you what that will look like because I can't even imagine. But in some way, shape, or form, we will know those who we have known in this world. But it doesn't appear as though our relationships are going to be the same 
as they are in this world. They're going to be different in some way. We won't know our husband and wife. We won't know our mother and father and children in the same way that we do in this world. Those relationships will be different. But when we use this language of husband and wife, and we use this language of father or children, we have to realize how this language is used in Scripture. God compares His relationship with us. He uses our relationships in this world as an illustration for our relationship with Him, a far greater relationship. Now, as good as these relationships we have with one another are in this world, how much greater is our relationship with God and those that we love going to be in the life to come? It's going to be much greater. When we look in Scripture, it is God who is our Father. We are the children. And when we talk about marriage in the context of what we're talking about today, we see that marriage, our earthly marriage, is used as an illustration for our relationship with Jesus Christ and what that relationship will look like. What's the commands given to us in Ephesians? How are we to live? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, serve your wife, give everything you can to take care of, provide for, and be there for your, for your wife. Because this, the Bible says, is what our relationship with Jesus is like. That we are the bride of Christ. That we are to submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given everything for us. He's given His life on a cross to, to wash away our sins, to provide for us for all of eternity, things that are so great that we can't even begin to imagine their greatness. And so God uses these relationships we see in this world as an example of something that is coming that is better. And so when we think about our, our, our parent-children relationships and we think about our husband and wife relationships in the life to come, we see that God fulfills those roles and those relationships along with us in a different way. Now when we leave this old world, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we are the bride of Christ. And when we get to heaven, that, that, that perfect marriage will take place between us and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. As children of God, we will be with our Father God for all of eternity. So these things that we see in this world are a glimpse, are a shadow of what is to come, if we can say that. And I think that that's a good way to say it. We see that language used a lot in Scripture. We see it used in the New Testament in a few different ways. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 17, it's talking about festivals and it's talking about food and it's talking about Sabbaths and all these things. And Paul says, look, all of these things that used to be were a shadow of what was to come. That is, what was to come is going to be much better. You're seeing a shadow of what's to come, a little outline, a little glimpse of what is to come, but you haven't seen everything. Because, he says, Jesus Christ is the substance. The things that came before were a shadow, but Jesus Christ is the substance. He is at the center. He is what everything is pointing to. So everything we see in the Old Testament, all these Old Testament ways, Paul says, all right, these are a shadow of something that's to come, something better that is to come. We see the same language in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5, in regards to the tabernacle. In the Old Testament, God gave Moses and the Israelites instructions on how to build the tabernacle. And it was a place where sacrifices were to be offered for the people, for the forgiveness of their sins. 
But Hebrews chapter 5 says, look, this was a shadow of heavenly things. It was just a shadow. It was just, just a glimpse of something that was going to be so much better, pointing forward to something better in the future. We see this kind of language again in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, speaking of the law. The law of the Old Testament was merely a shadow of what was to come. It was, it was good in a sense, but as good as it may have been for the people, it paled in comparison to what was to come. And so we see all of these things in Scripture that, that are talked about. They're, they're a shadow of, of what is to come, but they're not the fullness of what is to come. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically say that our relationships in this world are a shadow. I don't believe it says anywhere that very language. But I don't think it's unreasonable for us when we look at our relationships and we see that they are examples of our relationship with God to consider these things as a shadow of what, was, what is to come. And so as great as our relationships are with our husband and with our wife and with our children and with our parents and with our grandchildren, and with our closest friends, as good as those relationships are, as good as they possibly could be in this world, they pale in comparison to what our relationships will be for all of eternity. They are but a shadow, brothers and sisters in Christ, of what is to come. So don't don't think, man, I'm not going to have my husband or my wife or my spouse in the same way that I do in this world. Don't get sad about that because what you're going to get is better. It's not going to be worse. I don't know what your view of heaven is, but I can assure you that whatever your view of heaven is, it is going to be better than what you think. And as good as what we can see in this world is, we see God's glory around us. We see it in creation. We see it on our relationships. And as good as God's glory is, we're only seeing a glimpse of the greatness of God's glory in this life. We're only seeing a shadow of what is to come. Now, I wanted to give you guys a little example today. We got these beautiful flowers that Miss Angeline has prepared for us. And they're beautiful, right? Flowers are beautiful. You look at them, you see the colors. You see the whites, you see the pinks, you see the blues. And we like to look at flowers because they are beautiful, right? We see these flowers sitting here in all of their glory. We can see their beauty. But what if we take the flowers and we move the flowers? Now what do you see? You see a shadow of the flowers. You see there's something between you and the flowers. And all we see is a shadow now, you've seen the flowers and you've seen the shadow. Which one do you think is more beautiful? The flowers are more beautiful. When you can see things fully, it's more beautiful. We don't look at shadows and say that they're beautiful. When I look at my wife, I don't go out on a sunny day and look down at the shadow that she casts and say, Wow, babe, you are beautiful. <laughs> there is no beauty in the shadow. I look at her and I say, Babe, you are beautiful. When we go and look at our gardens and look at our flowers, we don't go on a sunny day and look down underneath the edge of the flowers and say, wow, look at those shadows, beautiful flower. We don't do that because we don't see beauty in the shadow. We see beauty in the fullness of the object and the creation that we are looking at. And brothers and sisters in Christ, what we see in this world today is but a shadow of what is to come. As good as things may be, as good as your relationship with your family may be, it is but a shadow of what is to come. And none of us would choose the shadow over the real thing. And so we need to remember that. 
that our relationships, when we are with God, that we, when we are with our family members, boy, they are going to be so good. No, we won't probably know each other in the way that we do now, as husband and wife, or as mother and father, or as child. But it's going to be so much better. We are going to know each other fully. Isn't that something? We are going to know each other perfectly. There's not going to be any conflict. We are going to know each other in the most intimate way possible in heaven. In the presence of God, in the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we will see everything fully. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, now we only see in part. We only see in part of the goodness and the glory of God. But one day we will see fully. But that problem we have now is sin. There's sin in this world. God made a perfect, beautiful world. And we see parts of God's glory. But it's been tainted by sin. It's been tainted by the sin in this world. It's been tainted by the sin in our life. So now we only see in part. And as good as our relationships are, as much love as we see, it's only a part of the goodness that God wants to give to us for all of eternity. And when that day comes, when that day comes that we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ and we leave this world for all of eternity, that sin that separates us from seeing all of God's glory, when that day comes, it'll be removed. When that day comes, we will no longer see a shadow of what is, but we will see the beauty in its fullness and we will see the glory of God shining through the beauty of everything He's created and all the relationships that we have and what a glorious day that is going to be as we stand in heaven with those who are our husbands and wives in this world and our mothers and fathers and our children as we stand there amongst each other and we stand before Jesus Christ and we, and we, and we rejoice in the glory of God. What a wonderful day that is going to be. Our relationships in heaven will not be like they are here, but brothers and sisters, I want to tell you, they will be so much better. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm ready to get there. See those who have passed and be with all of you, hopefully, in the fullness of God's glory. But we got to get there. If you don't get there, well, then the best you're ever going to see is the shadow of God's glory in this world. So we got to get there. We get there through Jesus Christ who gave His life on the cross so that we could be forgiven. Who died for our sins. Who paid the price for us. Who loved us more than we could ever possibly imagine. And through His death and resurrection we see God's love. We see His compassion. We see His glory. But we hadn't seen it in His fullness. If you want to see it, you got to put your faith in Jesus. Maybe there are loved ones you know that have already gone to see Jesus. I hope you get to see them, but the only way you're going to get to see them is if you humble yourself before Jesus. If you want to be part of the marriage that there is going to be in heaven, then you got to be the bride of Christ. you got to humble yourself before Him. you got to submit to Him. you got to make Him your Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning. We thank you for your good words. Help us as we deal with tough passages like this, dear Lord. We, we love each other in this world, and our human brains won't let us comprehend that there could be something better, dear Lord, but we know that there is. We know that there is something better than this world has. As good as it is, dear Lord, 
We know that you got something better. We thank you for our husbands. We thank you for our wives, for our children, for our parents, for our grandchildren, for our friends, dear Lord. We thank you for the relationships you give us. But God, we long for the day that there are better relationships. We long for the day that sin is gone. God, we long for the day that we can see the light of your glory in its fullness. God, we long for the day that we can stand before Jesus Christ and praise him, the Savior who gave his life for the forgiveness of our sins. And God, I pray that if there is one in this room that does not know Jesus Christ, that today that they would, that they would ask for forgiveness of their sins, that they would come to Jesus Christ, that they would seek Him and put their faith in Him. God, maybe there are some of us in this room and we are already yours. And God, we, we, we have lost those that we love. But God, let us long for the day that we are going to see them again. Let us look forward to the day that we will see them again. God, that we will, we will see them in whatever form they take. God, I don't even know what we'll look like, but God, I know it will be beautiful. It'll be far more beautiful than what we see here. And God, let us look forward to that day that we can see Jesus Christ and we can see those we love and have a relationship that will blow our mind, God. God, we are ready for our minds to be blown. And so I pray that we trust in Jesus today and that we get to experience that relationship with you when the time comes. And I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's service. To learn more about Jesus, call or text Pastor Shan at 601-657-0180 or email him at shanvn at me.com. You can also visit us at www.enterprisebaptist.church or follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash ebcliberty. We hope that you have been blessed by today's service.